Okay, welcome everyone to the Naked Guru Experience. These are conversations of psychology, spirituality, philosophy, and consciousness. As ever, really helps us if you subscribe and like uh, our content. And a big shout out to our sponsors, the Psychedelic Society. Today's discussion is with Mr. Dick Khan, author of DMT and My Occult Mind. DMT and My Occult Mind is that thoughtfully and rationally investigates the real, very real possibility of a parallel occult kingdom. Dick Khan offers a breathtaking new age account of discovery with fearless determination to investigate occult realities with a rational focus. He creates a feeling and a sense of awe and inspiration. He encourages all to look at the world around us and say, I wonder. Hi, Dick. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for agreeing to the discussion. Thank you, Ryan. It's great to be here. Hello, everybody. <laughs> We're both in the UK as well, aren't we? So We are indeed, and it is hot. It is, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> For once. Hotter than Barley, where I live and where we usually shoot the podcast from. So um, so just to start off, uh, Dick, I've written down like a template of what I'd love this conversation to, to follow, but obviously we can go off on tangents on the way. I think it's always good when we start these things. A lot of people might have seen content with you before and different podcasts with you before. But when we start these things, to define our terms a little bit, to for those that are familiar with uh, what we're going to be talking about today, DMT, um, they will know the terminology, they will know the territory. But there'll be some people listening that are not familiar with it. Uh, they may consider it some kind of drug similar to uh, cocaine, for example, or something like that. So I wanted from you, who spend, spend your life studying these things, could you define for us what is DMT to you? And, 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 and what do you actually think we're dealing with here? Yeah, so DMT to me, it, it's something that I understand is hidden throughout nature. It's within plant and animal kingdom. Within some uh, plants, it's... Uh, more pronounced than others and um it's it's not really sure what what is this i think it's something to do with communication mediating communication and consciousness but for me that that substance that's hidden within nature when it's extracted uh, from nature into uh, a free base uh, crystal it can be smoked or or ingested you know with with certain caveat and used to explore hidden, or uh, as I say, occult nature, which is um, observing and interacting with some very bizarre and uh, quite powerful, or very powerful uh, occupants mm. of hidden nature, uh, spiritual entities, uh, hyperspatial entities. There's a, a long list of names I'm sure we could give them. So that, to me, is what DMT is. It's uh, it, it's possibly possibly produced in the human brain it's, it's not been confirmed it's been shown in the pineal gland of rats so i think you know it, it, it's possibly within the uh, human brain also which leads you to speculate that you you could if you're smoking it you're foreseeably smoking a brain chemical which puts a really interesting slant on it you know yeah. because obviously the the experience from smoking that brain chemical is a a life-changing experience and uh, I'm sure we're going to touch on that. Yeah so I mean could you tell us a little bit about your early introduction to this like how, how did you get into this and what was the inspiration for, for the book DMT and My Occult Mind and, and some of your early experiences? So I got into it just chanced upon the Spirit Molecule documentary I'd uh, you know spent my young adult life you know experimenting with LSD with friends on a Saturday night and then got into the rave culture and then you know um, I got to university got a professional job and 
eventually married and settled down. But I always sort of kept my hand in with a few friends, you know, going out occasionally. And uh, as that drifted away, I, I maintained an interest in certain things. I, I go into research chemicals, which were legally available. And I don't know, every few weeks I'd be up all night on something. And you know, <laughs> surfing YouTube, Wikipedia, the children were younger. I could get away with this and uh, just chance upon the spirit molecule documentary and uh, was blown away and I knew I had to try it. I eventually came to try it and was really enamored by what I experienced. Um, so yeah, it was down to Rick Strassman. The um, the influence into writing a book slowly developed. I, I was recording my, I mean, writing down my experiences, but it was something that uh, Stephen Fry said. Um, I think it was a TV or TV and film awards ceremony. Yeah. And it encouraged anybody writing script writing, writing books. You know, if you've got that idea, seed of an idea within you. And, uh, you know, you're thinking to go for it, then go for it. I thought, you know what, I'm going to write a book on DMT. And and that was it. From then on, there was no turning back. Yeah, yeah. And so some of your journeys, I mean, these experiences are some of the most intense experiences that one can have on this planet, you know, Um, um, from personal experience also. It is probably as close to the experience of dying as one can possibly get. And we know with the cross-correlation of the literature that a near-death experience shares a lot of similarities to this. So how does one be so brave as to continuously do it again and again and again? I mean, do, do you feel much fear in, 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 in the journeys? I mean, do you, are you afraid of it in any way? I mean... Oh, I'm terrified of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think anybody who says they have no fear... I'm suspicious of because it is terrifying to commit to, even though surprisingly, nine times out of 10, the experience is is more enjoyable than we can probably explain in this podcast. It's just beyond imagination. I think one principal thing is after I've done my research online, looking at different experiences uh, through online um, forums, I, I had no presence on social media, so it very much felt like, and I think this is quite a significant in, in for my account, it very much, much felt like almost like a me against the world kind of thing. I had no idea what anybody else was doing. I wasn't online. I was just, I'm going to pursue it. Now, um, I'm sure there were times when I operated on courage, but I think I, think I came to realise, and it worried me a little bit, that my strategy was ultimately based on learning to ignore my fear and there's a big difference between operating on courage which is be valiant wouldn't it mm. and you know choosing to ignore your fears because that that wasn't easy but I, that that appeared to be my strategy so uh yeah there were times when you know i i i i forced my, many times i forced myself to do it against my ego shouting at me not to do it and there were many other times where I would listen to my ego and said, no, man, smoke DMT. That's the craziest goddamn thing in the world. I ain't touching it. <laughs> and yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was, uh, it's a hell for yeah. years. Terence McKenna used to say nature rewards courage. And it's something that's always rang true with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I would say to my wife, you know, I said, like, I'm going to smoke DMT. And I'd be like, not glum, but I'd be like, shoulders hunched down and loafing around and she'd say good luck and I'm yeah <laughs> upstairs and 
smoke it and it would be amazing. Mm. And I'd come running downstairs, I'd be like, oh my God, that stuff is amazing. It's like nothing, you know, really animated. And yeah. such a paradox. You would think if it's so enjoyable, go back and do some more. Or why, why be so um, sober and somber about going back? But that's the paradox. I think you know there's, there's your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. I think deep down, you know, experience is not being directed by your mind alone. There's something very powerful interacting with you and directing that experience and dictating the experience. And uh, that's quite something. Mm. Now, uh, on that thread, have you brought anything back with you from, from that world over the, over the time? I mean, it happens so fast where you catapulted out of the body uh, a million miles an hour into a realm that we you don't, often don't know where you're going to end up. And it's, it happens so fast that it's sometimes difficult for the memory to function on the same capacity as it does on a normal waking uh, day. And so to come back, do, have you brought anything back with you that you could, you could tell us about? I really, I like that question. I've been asked that question before. Um, first, let me say that, yeah, for sure, there are experiences you smoke and the experience is so fast. You you, you, you come out of the DMT experience, and you're like, I can't write it. I've got nothing to write about because I couldn't tell you what happened. I smoked it. Something happened. It was amazing. I know that. It was very fast. I know that. But I, I just, I have nothing to write down. So there are experiences like that. But I think o overall, it's not like... I'm bringing back like snippets of, say, scientific or quasi-scientific information, but it's more um, as a accumulative over the course of the experiences. It, it's given me, from my perspective, irrefutable evidence of the existence of a cult that's hidden life forms, and I think that kind of that statement, it gives credence to the esoteric and occult philosophies and the myths and religions and the folklores of the world, which all speak of otherworldly beings. And for me, bringing that back, I mean, it's irrefutable evidence to me. I can't prove it to anybody else. But to me, yeah, that that's what I brought back. So it, in that sense, it's very much uh, a personal thing. I think uh, I won't say brought back, but it certainly changed me as an individual. For the better, I might add, in my humble opinion. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the evidence is showing as well uh, on, on the thread of us bettering ourselves that the cure for addiction, the cure for uh, smoking is, is coming out very strong now that these experiences don't just, uh, just travel across the universe, but are also help us develop self-development. And I guess that's a process you've been through too and along the way. Yeah, I, um, I, I got to say, I was probably lacking in emotional intelligence since, you know, maturing into a young adult. And there was always uh, habits and aspects of my life which I was probably too immature to face head on and too immature to deal with. But QDMT and, uh, yeah, I mean, I made a couple of lifestyle changes which, uh, you know changed me and I think pursuing the experience not some maybe not the experiences themselves but that forcing myself into those experiences ignoring the voice of my ego shouting at me not to do it I think it allowed my spiritual ego the opportunity to have a little bit more of a voice I mean it's still just a whisper but yeah I think it really changed me as an individual my 
emotional intelligence, in my opinion, matured very quickly. And I, I've seen the changes. I've, um, you know, I've got I've gone up a couple of pay grades at work. I've been promoted. I've been invested. I've invested in my training and management. So it's good. Yeah. And when you know what what interests me is the idea of mapping the experience. If we could somehow draw a map to these, there seems some consistency in the data of where people are traveling to, you know, which is the most, that, that is for me, the strongest evidence of, of what, um, what these tools really are, uh, as in they are transport to other parts of the, the universal mind, the mind of God, the universe. And, and the evidence for, for that is okay, personal experience, but the, the consistency within the data where doesn't matter where you're from, socioeconomic background, male, female, they got, they got people are blasting off to these places coming back and reporting this this same thing um have you had any look in 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 mapping the the, the territory you know uh, it, uh, to be able to divide divide it up into key realms i know i've been to around three um but have you had any um with, with a more long-term experience uh, experience of going back to the same place again and again and actually mapping the, the territory to an extent, I would say, yes, I've had some experience of that, but I, I kind of disagree with that, the, the, the sort of concept of, of that hyperspace being a, a sort of place that can be mapped. Let me explain. From Based on my experience, it's not that I'm going anywhere. It looks that way. It's that something's coming here and enveloping me within its mind and imposing its... Uh, posing its perceptions all around me and making it look like I've gone to another realm, another world. And it's able, as, as part of that uh, illusion, let's call it, it's able to create other illusory effects, such as illusions of movement. So, for example, I've smoked in the bedroom and lay back. and I mean, within sometimes instantaneous, within seconds, it assumes you've gone somewhere else and you're no longer in the bedroom. You're in, I don't know, it, it's a bizarre looking futuristic factory type place. And it's very glossy, very highly defined. And I'm apparently on a conveyor belt that's moving me along. So let's break that down. I've just hit the pipe three times with DMT. Have I left my bedroom and I'm now in some futuristic factory on a conveyor belt? I'm certainly moving or so it seems based on my experiences what i've come to determine is these these entities these powerful spiritual beings they can operate not only imposing visions but can operate in a sort of paraphysical quasi-physical manner and what the and it took me a while to work this out that the illusion of moment is the entity rippling underneath my back so i'm getting these ripples that are going consistently beneath my back which is laid on the carpeted floor but it creates that illusion of movement and it's so good. I mean, you know, there's, there's many experiences I've had and I've almost like clapped in, I like, that is just too much. The magic that they can impose is too much. And I've had experiences where, and this is in the garden where it's been very, very powerful. Um, and it's almost like I've been spat out at the end of the experience, you know what I mean? These, and I've had experiences where it, it feels like I'm gliding I mean, I'm laid on the grass in the garden, but it feels like I'm gliding. And I think it's the the body of the mind, the movement of the body of the mind of the entity, as I say, which can operate in a quasi-physical or paraphysical manner. And it can create all these bizarre 
illusions of movement and floating and these are terrifically powerful entities and so the question that's on everybody's mind and that comes up again and again is is the entities you know it's i think it's the most fascinating thing about the experience and so uh, for for you could you go into a little bit more detail for us of what you've come to understand these these entities yeah. are yeah i love the question because it, it, i uh... I think one of the, the findings of my research is, or, or one of the arguments that arises from my research is, when people say entity, what do they mean by entity? So, for example, if I smoke DMT in the bedroom, and I, I've done so, and a circus performance has manifested within the bedroom, so I can see the bedroom, I've got a range of can-can dancers behind me, all, you know, the, the, the lovely females kicking the leads up, uh, there's, I don't know, juggler, somebody on a pair of step ladders, all these human-like entities doing these wonderful tricks. So I can say, well, the can-can dancers, each of those is an entity. The guy on the ladders is an entity. The juggler's an entity. The bedroom's filled with more than a dozen human-like entities. But I'm arguing that actually I'm in the mind of a powerful spiritual being of nature, and it's imposing its own imaginative construct upon my mind the powerful spiritual being is creating those images of kankan dancers the juggler the man on the steps the, the magician over there so that's what i'm saying so people come to me and say have you seen the blue entity the gold entity if you've seen a, a clown a jester an alien i'm arguing they are illusory constructs of the mind of the spiritual entity that's imposing those visions uh landscapes sceneries whatever upon your dmt amplified mind i mean look you, you you're completely engulfed it's not like oh it's there but over there's like the, the the door to the bathroom or the door to the bed you are engulfed and bizarrely it's like sometimes you can see what's going on behind you and don't ask me i can't explain that <laughs> well but, well maybe i mean the first thing that that DMT does, let's not forget, it's a really potent psychedelic. Psychedelic means mind manifesting. The initial effect of DMT is it will amplify some otherwise, some immaterial aspect of your mind. You get a ringing sound in your, the midst of your head, it becomes intense, it becomes very high frequency. From my research, I've determined to my own satisfaction that some psycho-spiritual aspect of myself is very rapidly uh, expanding outwards. The significance of that is you have significantly changed your setting. People talk about set and setting. You've powerfully changed your setting. That amplified mind stuff, consciousness, psycho-spiritual constitution, whatever you want to call it, um, nervous fluid even from mesmerism, it, it seems to act as a signal that is attractive to these entities these powerful spiritual beings of hidden nature and typically one will manifest in close proximity to you and then impose its own power upon you which you will audibly hear within you and without you and palpably feel within you and without you and it will mesmerically overpower you and before you know what's what you'll think you've gone to another world but you haven't you you just where you're at but that's not to say that's not to say that that's that's the entirety of it. I, I am absolutely open mind to other people who argue that they literally exit their body and they go into a hyperspatial realm. I'm, I'm really interested in that because 
in esoteric, esoteric and occult literature, I don't believe there is any hyperspatial realm. There's an astral realm, you know, mental realm, etheric realm, divine realm, etc. So, you know, these be quickly become deep philosophical questions. It, it almost sounds as well like your your preferred method, just from what you said there, is open-eyed. I mean, do, do you find there's a big difference? Um, surely for for every tool that I, I work with personally, it's um, usually under the kind of a Stan Groth method, um, which would be uh, blindfolded or, or closed eyes and, and really going inward. Um, I, I'm, yet, I'm yet to experience uh, open-eyed, but um, is, is that a preferred method for you to, to be open-eyed, closed-eyed? You mix it up or... No, I, th I think I don't know why it just seemed natural to me. So the first time I'd ever tried DMT and it was in this room and it was just a few one pull on a few fresh milligrams, you know, open eyed, the room became uber crystal clear. I think there's, you know, that's evidence of that expansive psycho spiritual stuff, uh, uh, you know, crystal clear. Um, and beyond that, it just seemed I don't know. I really wanted to know what was going on. And closing my, and I know the common th theme is, you know, oh, in a dimly lit or, or darkened room, but I don't want to do that because everybody's telling me that's what I should do. I want to, I just felt it was natural as a researcher. It's like, why would you close your eyes on something? Because I think you're going to miss a lot. And, and, and if you've, if anybody's read my books, I hope that comes through because what, happened after a while because i had no idea what was happening i thought i was going to I was just as people are saying i'm going somewhere else and it's there's people there showing me impossible things and it's i'm ontologically shocked is the phrase i've come across recently um but over time there's one particular experience where i was in the bedroom and i have this experience uh, in fact there's no visual experience but the entity or there's something trying to misdirect my attention and I, I refused to be misdirected. And I watched as this entity that was filling the volume of the room slowly peeled itself away and moved angelically out, I say, through the bedroom door. I mean, through that direction, through the wall, through the open door. I mean, it was so serene. And my jaw was just like, I mean, you're seeing a life form of hidden nature Come on, that is like, you know, if you want to go into a dark room and smoke and see those wonderful visions, and I get it, they're amazing, you know, you're going to, it's beautiful, but I want to know what's causing those visions, and that that was the where I went. And I, I think with, you know, with salvia as well, and with other psychedelics, and I, I've yet to try five MEO-DMT, but I tell you what, the first time I try it, I'm going to be outside, and I'm going to be in the sunshine, and I'm going to drag it out into the sunshine. I want to see what I've seen on NNDMT and see whether there's a, you know, commonality or anything shared in terms of what it attracts from hidden nature. Perfect. So, you know, talking about the the, the method, how, over the years, have you refined your method in any way? Are you, are you experimenting with a variety of methods or uh, what advice can you give people on that based on your research? Well, I mean, in terms of methods, I mean, let, let's start with the, the substance itself. I've always extracted my own DMT from, you know, I've, I've always used mimosa, stillish root back. I found the extraction, you know, um, took me a couple of goes, but it's very simple. Obviously, you know, 
using any aggressive chemicals, follow the proper safety precautions. So I've just stuck with a very simple method that, you know, has, has, has proven well for me. In in terms of um, smoking, I, I, I when I first started out, it was the classic DMT machine, which is a um, small pipe fashioned from a glass bottle. I used that and a torch flame lighter and it, it took a little bit of skill, but I really enjoyed that interactiveness. And it's since I've finished my research or the research that con, you know, um, was introduced into the two books, I've realized people are using other devices such as vape devices and, um, you know, other methods, dab nail rigs, but no, I've not tried those, but yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed the, the bottle pipe. But I've since used the vape device, and yeah, it's uh, incredibly efficient and ridiculously effective. It's um, it's a good way to go. But uh, we were speaking earlier, and you know, I had a bit of a night outside on the hammock and tried this at about five a.m. and regretted. I was pulling on it, it was like bloody things oxidized. <laughs> you know, so it was like mind manifesting, but not sufficient to bring anything out of thin air. So one thing I had written here, which I wanted to discuss with you is, as I've been pouring through the accounts of di different uh, perspectives of experiences on Arrowhead and places like that, one thing that I've noticed come up is these e encounters with dark entities and people reporting, uh, how, going through the experience, something happens and they've actually been physically uh, assaulted and um, come back with bruises and... Uh, now. I mean, we have to, we, we don't know how far you can trust the validity of these things, but it, it doesn't make sense to me that people that would have these experiences would make these kind of things up. And if you know the territory well, you can you can kind of believe anything at this point. Anything is really possible at this Absolutely. point. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so what are your thoughts on that? I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, since writing the books, it's been wonderful to be able to interact with all kinds of people from all around the world, thanks to the wonders of social media. And yeah, I mean, I must have spoken to maybe four or five individuals that have given these accounts and I've even seen pictures of like bruises and that. And they've said, look, you know, an entity did this to me. I'm like, damn, you know, who have you been upsetting? And I um, I absolutely don't poo poo that or rule it out. And the reason being I had um, one experience, I think it's in my second book and it's called Occult Roughhousing. And this is the thing with DMT. I mean, I think it's that moment where you think, yeah, yeah, I, I got this, you know, something's going to just take you by surprise. And I, I, a man, I smoked in the garden and I lay down and before I knew what was what, something was on me and it was, it was roughhousing me. It didn't bruise me, it didn't hurt me, but it was dealing with me very quickly, very brusquely in a manner that was almost like it was like, I think there was some clothes hanging on the line. And the clothes were like saying, you know, like they were observing and they were like saying, oh, he's getting, oh, he's getting it now. Now he's getting an experience. And I, it was like I was being quickly bound in like this psycho spiritual wrap, but really brusque. And there was n not even any time to be scared. Wow. And then this thing that had done this to me, it just shot off at a 45 degree angle I swear it punched a hole in the, the continuous cloud cover, left a hole in the cloud that then slowly reformed so that the cloud cover was once again complete. And I was, you know, after that, you've got to tell, you've got to sort of reason with yourself. You know what's happened, but you've got to reason with yourself. 
I've, I will. I would you? I'm. Am I finished? And what you gotta do? What you gotta do is you gotta sort of bite down hard and put two thumbs up and grit your teeth and say, yeah, good one. But really, at the time, it was like, fuck yeah. Terrifying, terrifying. And was that a one-off for you, or were there any other occasions where you have these these kind of uh, more malevolent experiences? So out of hundreds of experiences, by far the majority of which have been playful. I mean, when I say ecstatic, I mean the kind of ecstasy that would shame a good night on MDMA. And I know, I know a good night on MDMA. I mean, real profound ecstasy. But there has been two or three where the the, the sort of qualitative characteristics of the entity have been very different to the ones that I'm used to interacting with. Um, one I've just given with a cult rough housing. There was another one where I believe I was subliminally coaxed into smoking DMT against my wishes, or it was on a day where I said, there's no way I'm smoking it. I ended up smoking. It was only 15 milligrams. It was in the garden. It was foggy. There was no air movement. It was like five o'clock Saturday afternoon. And I vacuumed down this 15 milligram, laid back, exhaled, and this thing was just there. It was like, uh, it was disc shaped, maybe two meters wide. It was evidently made of constructible pieces. I mean, you know, it's transparent, but you can see it. Mm. It came down to me, a portion of it went into my head, went into my brain. It, it did something in there. I don't know what it did. Then off in the same manner that the occult roughhousing entity went, you know, 45 degree angle away. And I was left brooding very darkly, thinking, has it done something in my brain that it can activate at some future date, unbeknownst to me, in a manner that's going to leave me acting, uh, you, you know, I mean, the real dark stuff starts to, like, come up from the dark quarters of your psyche, and you're, you're in the bath, and you're like, you want it to take your brain out and wash your brain, <laughs> you can. And after three very dark hours... Again, it's how you deal with it as an individual, because an experience like that can not only put you off for any other research, but it can leave you sort of moving through life with that sort of dark shadow lodged in your mind. But at the end, you've got to say, you got me. Because you've had three very dark hours. That's the tr I believe that's the trick. That's what it did. It, 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 it did me. It coaxed me into an experience and then, you know... Um, did that so yeah and then i've had other experiences where and I, i'm not saying these were as such malevolent entities but they can operate you know they can be filling the room but they can operate within you to an extent they can in, invade your physiology and i've had i've had it a couple of times where they've slowly stymied my capacity to breathe and i'm home alone there's nobody in the house and I'm laid back and I can see and feel this entity filling the room. It's within me and I'm wondering what's going to happen. Then slowly my, it starts to, I don't think it constricts my windpipe, but I think it's it's inside my windpipe and it's slowly reducing the effective bore of my windpipe. And I'm starting to wheeze and breathing's becoming very difficult. And it gets to the point where you're on the verge of panic and panic in a human being. I mean, real panic is a horrible thing. And that was just about to start screaming for my life. And the entity knows just where you're at. And then it goes mm. and I'm left mm. alone. And again, you've got to compose yourself and say, oh, yeah, you, you got me. You got me real good. And, and you know, I found that if you do go back after those challenging experiences, because I would never say they're a bad trip. If you do go back, 
it seems like you're rewarded. You know, the next experiences are really playful, delightful. It's almost like saying, oh, damn, he came back after that. You know, let's uh, let's give him some ice cream or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the best advice is to do another dip, right? Do a double dip. If, if yeah. it goes wrong the first time, go back in. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, go, go back. I mean, look, if you're not meant to be going to that realm, they're going to let you know. They're going to they're gonna slap you, you know, if, 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 if they don't want you there. And I've, um, I've, I've done things where uh, the, I've, I've had experiences where at the tail end, I've, I've sort of had some negative thoughts directed towards the entity. And then I've not been able to get any interaction for a week or so. And I found myself having to kind of like offer psychic apologies into the ether. And uh, yeah, it seems, you know, eventually sort of welcomed back in. But yeah, it's uh, I, I, go on. And, and so, Dick, I mean, the question is, what the hell is going on? Like, are, are we any closer to an answer of like what, what we're actually seeing? Are, are these beings existing in this other dimension we're popping in? It's often the case they seem to be waiting for us, which is quite strange. And 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 it's, it, people often report the idea of having been there before, and uh, and, and of, of them saying to them, "Well, you 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 come so 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 few times, and we want you to stay." And and what are you any closer to an answer of what well, we're actually I'm, doing? Here? I'm trying to head that way with the research into esoteric and occult literature on the sort of, you know, occult hierarchies and what, what's out there. But obviously those sort of theosophical texts don't talk about DMT. So you're just trying to work out who's who and what's what. Um, I, it's bizarre because some of the entities, in my opinion, seem to have a clear practical working knowledge of the human psyche and human physiology. So you kind of left thinking, well, they must have had a, they have a hand in our, our construction, our sort of development, our evolution over years. And uh, I don't know, it seems to be some sort of coexistence. There's something, like you say, sometimes you smoke and it's like the entity's there. But other times it, it, it's not like that. And the ones, the accounts I've just given, especially with the, the darker experiences, no, it seems that they're coming... I mean, you know, they punched a hole in the clouds and was gone to wherever it goes. But, yeah, um, some of them seem to be related to us, and I suspect maybe they're related to the esoteric and occult mechanics of human beings, sort of um, prenatal before birth and after death. You know, I think, you know, if you have wider views on sort of death being not the end of existence, but, you know... Your body will go back to the earth and the astral will go back to the astral, the etheric to the etheric. And maybe these entities have a, a role in sort of that sort of, I don't know, dismantling of the um, the recently deceased human being. I don't know. They become very deep questions. I, I'll be honest, and this is one that I've never, uh, never told people. I've, I've documented it in my books, but I've never mentioned it on a, a podcast. Bad experiences were an entity is manifested and... Uh, it streaked away out of the bedroom window and left two like parallel, like thick ropes, like real thick twine ropes. And between those ropes, uh, a bedraggled mess of psycho-spiritual substances hung down. And I mean, it, it's kind of like repulsive to look at. It's, it's, um, it's transparent. It's got this iridescent sheen to it, which makes it sound beautiful, but it's just ugly. 
and th within that mash you are hearing all different kinds of voices like american voices english voices and you just gain snippets of what each voice is saying and then i've seen this entity come back and like corral this horrid mess back up and out of my sight and you're left thinking man you you wondering have i just seen like i don't know a, a, a big sort of mass of astral shells or you know some kind of like echo of of people's personality that's being dealt with in a sort of esoteric occult manner by these these powerful beings i mean you know to see it corral this mess away from me it's like i don't know leaves you wondering whether you've got an insight into the occult mechanics of hidden nature in respect of post-death human existence yeah i i guess on on a on, on many levels I, I studied buddhism and hinduism and, and and all of these different uh doctrines you can you can find within them a thread of a, a thread of similarity which is they're all clearly talking about the same thing but they're just talking in different in different yeah. ways right i mean one certain symptom of if you if you do dmt long enough one one symptom is your fear of death is just gone like it, 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 have you found this as well i mean you must have <laughs> it, it, yeah. Death yeah. I, 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 yeah because you know one of one of the um let's say thematic dmt experiences and when i say thematic i mean the the main one is the the visionary experience but then we've touched on the invasive experience so there are thematic experiences for sure and, and when you were talking about mapping the area i think that's probably a good starting point to to list or recognize thematic experiences and one thematic experience is the classic little death and that's you smoke dmt and the experience is you are absolutely convinced that you have just died and it's without question it's without question it's like mm. it's I was it's like it's terrifying but you're like you straight away you're longing to go back oh no no I've got family I don't belong here I've got I've got, I've got family please let me go back yeah and I mean I've had that two or three times and it it's a trick again it's an illusory trick I mean look I I had the first time I had it I hit the pipe three. There was a big storm outside. We got massive oak trees out front, blowing noisily. And I hit this pipe three times, lay back. Nothing happens. I'm like, sit up. And I'm home alone. No, my wife's downstairs and I, um, I, I try. And this elusive hit of vapor just goes down. And I hear this little, this is the key um, telltale sound. I hear this little sound in my head like, zip. And I lay back. It's without question time. I'm dead. And bizarrely, I don't hear any wind at all. It is deathly silent. Oh, now, how how on earth can the entity do that? I'm not saying that the entity has stopped the weather, stopped the wind. That's beyond the pale. But it's able to either do something to my audibility or to acoustically treat that room in such a manner that I can't hear that wind outside. It's deathly silent. And I genuinely feel I'm dead and it's it's terrifying. But I tell you what, when you realise you're not dead and you come out of that experience, you feel twice alive. It, it's literally, it's almost like that Christian born again. And I ran downstairs and I'm talking to my wife, but you do, you feel like, you feel rejuvenated for life, you know, because you feel that like you have experienced death and it's terrifying at the time. And I've experienced it two or three times, but yeah, you know, it's... Um, I, 
really powerful experience, but one that's ultimately valuable to your ontological outlook going through life in terms of maybe how you consider your existence and and, and your your death, which you won't ever be able to escape. Yeah, and, and I'm seeing a lot of consistency with a lot of thinkers and people involved in the topics of psychedelics in general, whether that be DMT, LSD, psilocybin and whatnot. And there seems, particularly with high doses, a consensus that, uh, it, it, well, I mean, we talk of ego death. We talk about uh, that that dying to what you thought you were and being reborn as something something else in one body. And it seems like an iterated process of death and rebirth in, in one body. Like, we do die and at, the, at the end of our life, and we... In my opinion, I think we're reincarnated mm. in, in another form, but you can do that. You can induce it in this body. Yeah. Um, and it seems the more we go through that process of iterated death and birth in one body, the further you get from the identity you originally thought you, you were. I mean, I long forgot who Ryan was. <laughs> uh, that, that's been the process for me. How, how have you found it in your journey? Yeah, I mean, it's as I say, we touched on the emotional intelligence. It, it, it changes you for sure. And, I, you know, it's not that I'm saying my ego is not my amigo. I mean, I love all those memes and that. But really, you know, you, you get real. You're not going to kill your ego. I mean, it's, it's yeah. you. It's part of who you are. I mean, you can give it a good kick in. You can slip it around a bit, and no, I mean, but 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 I think by doing that, it it, it potentially gives your spiritual ego, your divine spark, just that little opportunity, not to shout. It ain't ever gonna shout in this lifetime, but just to sort of whisper a little bit and let you know that that's ultimately the real you, the real sort of driving force, the the essential of who you are, your divine parentage. That is the you, but the ego. That's just the astral shell in this lifetime. This is the Dick Khan in this lifetime. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, and, and as I say, it was maybe not the experiences that were doing that so much, but my forcing myself to smoke DMT when my ego was screaming at me, no, don't do it, don't do it. I don't want to do that. And like, shut up, we're doing it, you know. And um, yeah, I think I think that imposed a lot of change in me. Now, are you seeing in your sessions, are you seeing any continuity or is it all complete random each time? How is it, is it going for you? Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's clearly huge variation, you know. I mean, when it first started off, you know, you're seeing all those impossible objects and I can't describe them because I just remember seeing things that were impossible and I was, like, astonished. But I couldn't tell you, I just can't tell you but they were amazing and they were impossible so all that kind of stuff and then you know we've touched on that uh, you know the, the worst thing you can do with dmt is to think you've got the measure of it and i remember the first time i thought i got the measure of it is because i'd had some thematic experiences i come home from work children were younger i could get away with smoking it on the the landing at the top of the stairs and smoke it Looks like I've gone to this amazing new world. There's these human-like entities. It's a bit like Stephen uh, Sarah said, the Hungarian chemist. Like uh, people look like they're wearing masks, and you know they're moving around in this strange fashion. And I mean, it's just wonderful to behold. I could stay in that state for hours, you know, just like um, transfixed, um, you know, and then come back from work the next day. Smoke it exactly the same experience, same scenery, um, same human like individuals. I thought oh, that's like exactly the same as yesterday, and that made me think stupidly, oh, maybe, maybe I've gone as far as you know, 
DMT. You know, <laughs> I, I, maybe I've I've got this. I have gone as, and which stupid because I will say now I've nowhere near gone as deep as DMT enabled. I've scratched the surface of that. But then the third night, same same thematic experience. I was like, oh man, I've reached the end of DMT. But then the next time I did it, the experience changed hugely. It was my first experience of a an invasive experience where the entity. I mean, the frequency imposes upon you to project itself into you so it can operate invasively throughout your thoracic cavity. I mean, you know, it's modulating your voice because the density of this substance is, it's uncommon. It's like nothing that you're, it's not like the air, it's not like water. And its ability to modulate your voice, I was just, and I was crying out, no, you you can't do that because something's within you. And it's kind of, to some extent, man, I, operating here, I don't know, but I felt obliged to speak again and again and like just to hear the bizarre quality of my own voice. But ultimately, I came out of that experience and I cried my eyes out. Well, seeing visions is one thing, but to know something's inside you, doing things, wow. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, cr- I cried after that. I went downstairs. My wife had heard me screaming. She said, are you OK? I burst into tears. So from that, the experience has changed and became, you know, invasive and um, some of them quite bizarre. You know, I'd had many experiences where I felt that my lips were being sealed up shut by this psycho spiritual substance. But because you're in a mesmeric state, you don't have that capacity to like, I'm going to test the integrity of that seal. You're just there succumbing, surrendering. But there was one occasion where I sensed my lips had been sealed up. I mean, you can feel this substance within you. It, it'll come up from your, your, your larynx, your throat, and you can feel it on the um, inside of your cheek walls and then slowly seal your lips up. Anyway, the time that I went to test the integrity of that seal, I could not open my lips at mm. all. Now, had I been scared, the entity would have gone just like that. Mm. But wasn't I, I? I trust these entities. I, I sort of like being able to some extent intuit their character. I know, I know they're, uh, for me, they seem to be good or a force for good, wise, intelligent, uh, loving, compassionate. So, yeah, I couldn't open my mouth, and I've had an additional experience where it did the same, but not only that, it sealed my nasal cavity up as well, and I got this one breath in me, and it's diminishing and diminishing, and I'm thinking, I'm going to need to breathe soon. And at that point where you're, like, close to, like, what's going on it's just like enabled me like released that um seal and i was able to <gasps> and then as i exhale i don't know it's it's like modulating or it's um it's like puppeteering me almost to speak and the the, the bizarre sounds coming out of my mouth for like just crazy but i mean beautiful beautiful experience but again if i'd have panicked the entity would have gone yeah yeah I mean, we, took, we touched on the idea that the entities could be souls and ancestral souls and, and we could be experienced the kind of waiting room. I mean, there's also the angle that people talk about in terms of alien life. Um, have, have you had any experiences like that where you, the entities are more what you would perceive as, as alien? I mean, some of the archetypes that people describe and that, that also I have had experiences with are very similar to what in the 1960s and 50s they portrayed these kind of UFO aliens with, with the round faces and the, and the, the big eyes and this the way in, in cinema aliens are, are portrayed 
you think, well, well, that's where they got this from. Like somebody's been smoking DMT and they've created these characters from this. Like, so I've I've not yet experienced the traditional grey alien in many of my experiences, but I spoke to a few individuals that have, and I remember one individual in particular. She was with a boyfriend at a remote Scottish um, uh, cottage, and he got her to smoke. She'd never smoked it before. And I mean, what she recounted was unbelievable, you know, surrounded by three grey aliens. They had access to her memories. They were flicking through her memories like a file. A boyfriend tried to get up off the sofa. One alien pushed him down and said, you know, stay there or don't move. And basically offered her, um, if you will give us the essence of your heart, we will give you anything that you want in this lifetime. And she, she wouldn't. But they said, anything you want, but you've just got to give us the essence of your heart. And she wouldn't. And um, she's never touched DMT since, and I can understand why. So <laughs> I've not met those grey aliens. But what I would say is those darker experiences that I've outlined where I was roughhoused and the entity shot through the clouds, that one where I was subliminally coaxed into smoking DMT and it entered my brain and fiddled about a bit and then shot off and left me feeling ravaged. I think qualitatively, those kind of entities are of a very different order to the entities that I'm used to interacting with me. And I would, I, I suspect that those sort of grey aliens are from that kind of, I don't want to say species, it sounds a little bit weird, but from that realm of that dimension, maybe of um, ultimately higher order than those that uh, we commonly interact with, because, you know, being offered anything you want in this lifetime to give up the essence of your heart. These are really deep trials, you know, I mean, it's, it's a profound trial. So no, I've not seen gray aliens yet. And I don't believe, I don't quite believe gray aliens exist as physical entities, but certainly in some bizarre way as quasi physical or paraphysical entities. And uh, I think somehow related to the, esoteric occult atmosphere of this planet rather than coming from i don't know reticulum wherever or galaxy wherever I, I don't don't buy that i'm not saying it's not so but i think they relate it to the esoteric mechanics of this planet or this solar system yeah and for, for those that have never done dmt what we're talking about now might sound quite abstract and even those that have had mushroom experiences and LSD experiences. But there's very key differences between uh, LSD, mushrooms, and DMT, isn't there? And, I mean, have you found that yourself? I mean, these yeah, things... I mean, I, 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 in terms of an experience, I think mushrooms are, are, are much more closely related to DMT. And I think, um, uh, is in the psilocybin, is it 4-ACO DMT? So there's a relationship there, a molecular relationship. And I found with um, magic mushrooms, there's more of a, a feel of that entity presence or, or even sometimes breakthrough or uh, yeah. being enveloped in a, a, a really loving presence. I mean, you know, really awesome. With LSD, no, not so much. Clearly, it's a very potent mind manifesting substance. I mean, I... I I tripped on acid, I think, oh, was it last year or year before? And I've not touched it for like 15 years, but I, I got this tab and, you know, children were at school, wife was at work, all right, let's do it. And it was really strong. Um, and I was outside and it's clearly manifesting my mind stuff. You know, you can see you trail your hand through it, there's, there's, there's tracer trails. But there's no sense of any entity presence. And then I smoke some DMT while in the midst of this um, LSD trip. Straight away, there's this like, 
entity with feminine qualities upon me and it's just making me feel just wonderful you know beautiful but yeah you know i'm a big fan of lsd and i you know i mean a lot of people talk about microdosing but I'm a working class Yorkshire man at heart. I, I, you know, and people like mess about. I'll just get my tab and I'll cut a sliver off. I think that'll do. And you know, uh, so I'm I'm low dosing. I I you know I'm a family man now, and the chance of enjoying a full blown trip with family around it's it's the opportunities are few and far between. But yeah, it's a wonderful substance. There's a, it's it's slightly off on a tangent, but it's an interesting question while we're here. When, you know, these tools in society these days, if you're not in the communities that we're in, uh, it's very difficult for people to understand what we're actually up to here. Like, a good proportion of the planet still look on this as if it was equivalent to uh, heroin or some kind of class A uh, drug. It has a stigma still attached. Now, there is a psychedelic renaissance at hand. We, these things, be, these very conversations that we're having are help kind of get rid of those misconceptions. But um, how do you integrate all of this with being a family man? What is a DMT parent like? And do you have a plan to, I have a son also in, in Bali. Do you have a plan in today's society to teach like the old tribes of the Amazon always did to their youth, your children one day about what all this is about? Or is it something you think, you know what, I'd rather than just be normal and, and not, not head down this path. <laughs> because once you're on the path, <laughs> you can't turn back. You can't unsee what you've seen in, in a way. And, and in a way, you're seeing the deepest mysteries of the universe. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when I was really going through those three years of quite vigorous research, my children often saw DMT being extracted in various stages and asked questions. And I was always reluctant or vague. I mean, they were younger then, but many times they see me outside, laid on the grass, looking up at the sky, you know, sometimes with sunglasses on so I don't get the glare in my eyes. And uh, they kind of asked and asked and asked. And, you know, I published a couple of books and as they've grown up, you know, they've kind of like wheedled more and more information out of me. And I think for the last two or three years, they've pretty much got a, a good understanding, a good outline as to what I'm engaged with. And I mean, look, I, I, as a parent, I couldn't be prouder. They're both doing really well at school. I mean, I went to a, a terrible school in a working class area in Yorkshire. I had no real education. I mean, parents never pushed me regrettably. But yeah, I mean, I couldn't be happier. You know, my boys' uh, reports are great. Homework reports are great. They're both doing great. I couldn't be happier. And yeah, you know, they've, um, I mean, look, I, I got a, a med, my wife's got a medicine box. I've got my medicine box and I've shown my children what's in there because I'd rather be open and have that sort of dialogue with them myself rather than, you know, it's like, oh, somebody's got something at school you're not supposed to have and he's selling it at this or oh, is it just take it? I'd rather, you know, have that conversation with them. And I don't know about my children in terms of growing up, but got to a point where I sort of like, I didn't want to be like my dad, I wanted to be different. So maybe me like being open with my kids, is, I don't know if it's put them off. I don't know, I uh, I hope not, but I wouldn't I wouldn't push them into things and I wouldn't force them into things. I mean, they're still far too young, but they'll write Father's Day, I got a Father's Day card and it's like, you know, they're like 
DMT this and DMT that, and they think it's funny and think think it's funny. And my pen name is Dick Khan. You know, I mean, <laughs> it came after my father's first name. He was genuinely christened Dick. Right. And very yeah, different. Yeah, youngest of fifteen children. His dad was drunk at the um, christening, so uh, you know, I just went straight for Dick. And Khan is my wife's surname, so that's the pen name. But yeah, no, it's um, and that yeah, I, mean, I get asked a lot, you know. Can you get me some of this? Can you? I like. No. <laughs> everything you need is available online, and and it is so easy. So you know, and you know, I mean, I I feel maybe I shouldn't say this, but on Twitter there's so many accounts purporting to vend psychedelics, and you know, I mean, people come and say, "Can you trust this guy? Can you?" I've got no idea. I don't. I have no idea. Yeah. We'll come back and say I've been stung or not surprised so it's difficult because yeah still highly illegal uh, studies are showing that there are benefits to this obviously university studies genuine academic studies showing that these can be useful to treat um, uh, addictions depressions I mean this is a really potential big industry that's about to mushroom pun intended <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know I, I, I mean if you're asking me do I see any legislative change in, in this country, UK? Absolutely not at all. Do I see any discussion? I would like to think so, but I don't think it's going to be for a few years yet, but I think there needs to be the adult discussion about it, and not just psychedelics, but, but things like ketamine. I mean, you know, there's thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of youth enjoying ketamine as a drug of choice. Yeah. I mean, what I'm reassured by is uh, every now and again, there'll be something in the Guardian or the Telegraph of, you know, how small microdoses LSD out and gets herself out of depression. I mean, you you touched upon the word there, but these are first and foremost medicines, you know, not, um, I, I, I hate the term drug. It's just a, yeah. a term for me these days, like uh, entheogen fine, medicine yeah. fine. And I think that as we reframe the context in society of the way we talk about them, which is the whole point really of, of this podcast, um, we, we can start to open it up to heal individual people, which in turn, uh, we, we are, we're individuals, but we're also a collective mind. You're a neuron and I'm a neuron, and we're functioning one collective mind, the mind of, of God. And so you, you heal the individual, and eventually you heal the collective mind. Now, I mean, there's big talk at the moment with a lot of people. Um, I was talking with Chris Bache, who wrote LSD in the Mind of the Universe, and I know there's some other of his uh, contemporaries that have similar ideas. But they feel we're at a point in the world now where there's, um, and, and everybody's saying this to me, and I don't know if it's always true, no matter when you ask anybody across time, but there seems to be a, a, a mass death and rebirth happening. And maybe psychedelics play a role in this or give us a clue into what's happening. Just as we've discussed today, when we go to experience ourselves, well, that can happen on a mass scale. And, and it, it does seem like 2020 is a fucking crazy year, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. It almost feels like there's a sort of tipping point coming. I mean, there's been a, there is an ongoing sea change in consciousness. And yeah, I mean, I think people are going to move away from, you know, the fact that alcohol and cigarettes are the mainly, you know, legally available drugs in a society like this is ridiculous to my mind. Obviously, the, the, the illicit, you know, drugs market is worth billions globally. 
and it's it's not being taxed. So I think there has to be some really sensible and grown-up discussion that's dictated by the evidence and not by some newspaper editor or newspaper owner who's trying to like steer society for his or her own predilection. So yeah, it's hopefully there's going to be some positive change. I think not the fear, but obviously the worst case scenario would be a sort of a defiance of what people are experiencing and, and, and what academics are stating and a sort of more authoritarian government against these substances and a crackdown. And I just don't think people will stand for that. I mean, I've never been to a protest in my life, but I tell you what, I would protest vehemently against any really authoritarian crackdown on, on these. I think it's, uh, I think the cat's out of the bag now. I mean, I know I'm arguably at the woo end of the scale. What the academics are doing is is wonderful. You know, it, it, it's a great way to to show governments that there are genuine, valid benefits to these um, substances. But equally, at uh, uh, the woo end of the scale, it's great to be making these arguments and like say, look guys, there's a hidden side of nature, which these substances will allow you to not only interact with, but even see in otherwise consensus reality. And that is big stuff. So, you know, I know woo is not everybody's cup of tea, but I think ultimately, I think an esoteric and occult interpretation of the DMT experience will ultimately prove the most accurate and meaningful. I think that can change our philosophy, our foundations of science. And, uh, you know, it's a long way from that. We're still collecting data. But, yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that this substance is and will continue to change the world. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And, and you know, I think that a lot of the scientists that are involved trying to add credibility to psychedelics, yeah, uh, the, more, the more that they uh, are involved with it, the more woo you become. I mean, it's almost like we, like a Carl Jung individuation. We separate from the collective mind and we go off on our own little yeah. journey, separating from the collective. And as you get further and further away, um, it's harder and harder to shout back and say, by the way, I've seen this because the collective can't hear it. You know, mm-hmm. one must experience it directly. And that's yeah. what these tools give us the opportunity to do. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as, as those individuals sort of do break away from that sort of, um, collective existing argument and start to make these separate arguments then there will be and there is a a sea changing consciousness as people start to have these experiences and I think eventually you know maybe not in my lifetime but there'll be some consensus opinion as to what's happening and I'm not saying that these experiences can and will be measured you're dealing with esoteric occult hidden reality so you're dealing with the knowledge of the measurable but that's not to say that it shouldn't be pursued with a a scientific mindset and what i mean by that is a, a genuine attempt to understand a very mysterious aspect of nature i mean the neuroscience is wonderful i, I totally buy into that the particle physics wonderful i totally buy into all that but how do we give words to these experiences and i guess that's what i'm trying to do and you know um done my best i'm doing my best yeah trying to I make mean, it as clear as possible <laughs> uh, uh, it, like you said dmt will provide you with just what you're capable of understanding uh, i had a question for you that i wanted to ask was um sometimes these journeys can get so far out that even trained psychonauts, people that have a lot of experience with them are using the tools in the correct and proper way with the deepest of respect and in, in, in the right way. Even you can be shocked at, at something and be like, 
that's just too far out. Yeah. And I want to know if there was any experience you've had where you was like, nope, can't go there. It's too far out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, um, and 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 just to sort of develop what you were saying, I found with because you know we've touched on the visionary change to invasive, and then beyond invasive, when I moved outside, you know, start to see things like what ufologists would call black orb UFOs in in consensus reality or earth lights, again, in consensus reality, you know, things appearing in the sky while you're, um, you know, experiencing DMT or coming out of a breakthrough experience of DMT. So there seems to be um, a progression to the experiences. Um, in, in terms of really bizarre, I mean, the ones that I struggled to write about because I just thought nobody's going to believe it is and this has happened two or three times smoke in the bedroom lay back you know by the second pull you're taking the second you can feel you can palpably feel the arrival of the entity in the midst of the bedroom maybe as a point source and you're taking the third it and that point source expands and fills the volume of the room and you lay back and it just imposes this pressure i mean pressure that will uh, the compression audibly causes the plasterboard walls to flex and groan and creak the floorboards groaning and creaking you feel like you've gone and disturbed god it's so so powerful and then when this entity has got its its purchase on the room or, or the house it's literally shaken the house like a washing machine on its final spin cycle only for like oh, 10 20 seconds the house is like you're like and you come out of that experience, and I say it's happened two or three times. I'm like, how oh, the hell am I? Oh, the, I can't. You are embarrassed to write about it because you're already writing about woo matters, trying to make it as plain speaking as you can. And then an entity's just come, manifested, secured bizarre otherworldly purchase on, on, on the, the bedroom and shaken the house like a washing machine on its final spin cycle. You can hear it, you can feel it. I mean, I know the construction of this house. It's got a, ske a steel skeleton hiding behind the plasterboard walls and a concrete shell. The house vibrated. I was worried, thinking, Jesus, what is my neighbour going to think? I thought I was going to start saying, what the bloody hell's going on? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, um, stuff like that, yeah. You also, from that, uh, are suggesting as well that there can be a physical effect, like we talked about the bruising, um, the, the house shaking. It's it, The interaction is not purely um, mental, but also can be physical, you know. Certainly yeah. I've had experience where very odd things have happened, especially with using devices such as Bluetooth or anything like that to headphones, signals being interrupted, electronics turning off. That would never never do that in the in the space. There seem there seems to be an interaction with the real world, the material world space, uh, and it just popping off the table. Well, I, I've had experiences where I, I've laid back and I'm having the experience, or the experience has begun, and I'm still clutching my lighter in my fist, and a, a, a sort of paraphysical aspect of the entity. The, the volume's filling the room, but it's it's composed itself into a quasi-physical uh matter around my head and it's prized one by one my fingers open and i've got the message like okay I, I will never hold the lighter again and and oftentimes what i found with a breakthrough experience and this is documented in my books is 
I mean, that energy they unleash is just it's just off the scale. But then when the experience is drawing to a close, you feel like you are very slowly being lowered back down to the carpet. I'm not talking like this, but it's like it's like it feels like you're raised just ever so slightly. And there's this decushioning effect. Mm. You feel yourself very slowly moving back down. But that quasi-physicality, one that really stands out, and we've said that the first effect of DMT is to powerfully amplify your mind stuff. And I had one entity manifest in the bedroom, and it, 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 it wasn't pushing down on me as such, as pushing down on that, that projection, that psycho-spiritual projection from me, so I can feel it within and I can feel it without, and it was pushing down on that that otherworldly aspect of me, that occult aspect of me, and the pressure, the power, I mean, it was just, if it had been on my physicality proper, I, uh, it would have squashed me, mm. but it was like showing me, like, see what power we've got, and it's just frightening, just beyond compare, you know, it's... Mm. You know, you, you start to think bizarre things like, you know, if I if I put a silly thought, but if I put a knife up to it, what would happen? But the power of that thing, it would just, you just, it was, you could, nothing could stand against it. It was frighteningly severe in the potency of its power. So, yeah. I guess also one thing that you, uh, that all of us struggle with uh, in these experiences is taking these kind of, vast beautiful vistas and and distilling them into our quite vulgar language like language is so constricted a-e-i-o-u and we only have a certain way you know to 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 frame things and there are these these experiences are so ineffable it's so difficult to describe so can you tell me in your book like what is the process of that how how are you distilling it and, and and what is your working process with that are you reworking it do you write it down straight after the experience or yeah, no, I, I write it down, you know, I mean, there's many times I've, I've wrote it down, you know, immediately that I've sort of, I, I'll have the experience, I will reflect and I'll go through each and every little thing. And, and my rules are that I, if I can't remember it, I won't introduce, there's no literary license. If I can't remember it, it doesn't get put in the book. Sometimes things come back to you the next day. You'll go back to yesterday experience. You'll think, okay, I'll, I'll add that. So no, it's very much um, being clear and um, honest. Um, but with, with the sort of visual things, what, what I found after going outside is the sort of visual stuff seemed to drop off, you know, after the invasive stuff and then going outside. Um, what would typically happen is I would these an entity would form in my setting, you know, in, in my in the garden. And it's like um, like a vast transparent gemstone i mean huge bigger than this room with like thousands of like geometrically beautiful sort of petals on it you know i mean composed of sacred geometry and so i I came to understand from being show those that those the kind of things that impose those visions upon us i mean these are wonderful things creatures beings life forms from occult nature i mean then you've got the black orb ufo so i it wasn't so much about documenting the visions and seeing what saying what I've seen, but trying to understand how those visions came to be. That was the nature of my research to understand the causal nature of the experience after smoking the potent substance. Mm. Uh, to begin with, I had no idea what was happening, but then very slowly, 
formed an idea that something's imposing these visions on me and and you know any further experience has tended to build on that and as the experience has changed and changed and changed until I got outside and I've seen these you know vast occult I mean I, I had one experience we live next door to um, a school playground and there was one experience and I'm not lying I mean this ship like thing I mean huge I mean spanning like our garden and way across I mean it, it's transparent I can see it because I've amplified my mind stuff and it's given me the capacity to see that. Nobody else would see it, even my wife. But I mean, ship, a ship-sized thing. And its manner of sort of departing was it, it went up in, um, it was like a cylinder and it went up telescopically. I mean, you see, I mean, some things you see them and you think, you feel that you've been graced with the sight of something that really isn't in the business of interacting or dealing with sort of like surface life, like humanity, mm. real. And and there's been experiences where vast entities of in, uh, uh, entity has interacted with me, and its manner of leaving has kind of like caught me up in its backwash. I mean, I see this big thing leaving, and it's like. Almost sounds bizarre. I will admit it sounds rude, but it's like really. <laughs> up into the sky with it. I mean, not literally, but it feels like I'm being pulled off the bloody grass of the garden. And as I'm caught up in this slow, ways I physical backwash. And after that, you just like, you know, you let your gear down. And it's the kind of experience where if anybody says, oh, what, what poppycock, or, you know, I don't believe you, it's like, no problem. I'm giving it for consideration. I know what I've experienced. If you want to poo-poo it, more power it, to you. It's one of those um, ironies of the whole journey is that one can have these amazing experiences and see these amazing things, but you can't ever tell anyone to the extent that they would really know what you're talking about. Like You can't tell your individual. It's, it's like the irony of the situation is that you're shown the secrets of the universe but then you've got no one to tell them to, you know, like, um, you, you, of course, we can have this conversation, we can talk about it, but you had to experience that alone. And the experience is far more profound than our ability to talk about it. Yeah, and I mean, there's, I, a, there's a loneliness there, I think, as well. No, the, the, there isn't. It's really good when people come to me and, and say, look, can I can I run a, a, a trip report by, you? you know, nobody to talk to. And uh, for sure, let, let's hear it. And I really enjoy reading those trip reports because, um, enables me to try and check, test whether my interpretations of the principles of these experiences hold true. And, and by and large, they, they do. I used to tell my wife, you know, oh, this happened and that happened. And I mean, my wife's my wife's Muslim. And so she believes in the jinn of Arabic mythology, which is a, a hidden race, you know. Mm. So she believes in that stuff as, as part of her religion. I used to tell my wife, oh, I've, I've experienced this, I've experienced that. There's, and I, I got the impression she wasn't kind of like buying it. And there was one experience, we'd just come back from a holiday in uh, in North Yorkshire, and uh, I came back, and I usually lay down when I journey with DMT, but listen, I sat in a, a plastic garden chair, like a patio chair, and vacuumed down my pipe in three hits. And maybe the entity that my, I didn't even see it manifest it also, it all happened so quick, but maybe it didn't like my uh, lackadaisical posture to this experience. And something just jolted into the crown of my head, like zapped me. And I just like fell senseless, like a limp rag doll. Mm. 
And I was like that for like three or four minutes and, until I composed myself. And, um, you know, again, it was like, yeah, you got me. And um, I went to tell my wife and she said, oh, maybe you've been stung by a bee. And it kind of like it introduced some animosity between us. I was like, not telling you anymore. Anyway, yeah, slowly she kind of like would listen to more. And I think as she's seen that I've wrote a book, as she's seen things we've seen on YouTube, she's kind of realized that there really is something happening. There is some kind of small movement that's arguing for these matters. And uh, yeah, I think she's more on board, but she'd never try it herself and I wouldn't force it on her. We we have a very similar thing there. You know, it's a very similar story. My wife is Buddhist and uh, she's Thai and uh, would never ever deal with these kind of uh, tools. And, and exactly the same as you, uh, it did cause some animosity in that, you know, once you've separated yourself from the collective mind so far, it's it's, it's very difficult to to explain. But when they really love you, they accept, right? They um and they see it from from their their point of view. I know she's she's far more spiritual than I am. Let's put it mm -hmm. that way. Even my experiences, it's like she's got it on the natch. It's just naturally she's like, well. You know, like I have to do these crazy things about it, and yet she doesn't have to do anything, and she's completely like in tune in the in the Zen of nature. Exactly. Um, what you mean. My wife's the same, man. I know exactly what you mean, Ryan. So I just wanted to touch upon the topic of love as well, because you know it's not talked about a lot in DMT, and for those that have never tried it, they they might be quite afraid of it. Like, oh, I I don't want to go for this experience of death and and aliens and, and these jokers and things like that. But in, enmeshed with the experience is this profound feeling of bliss and love. And I, I just want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm conscious that, you know, we've sort of talked about uh, the research I've done, which has covered some 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 of the darker topics. And whilst they're valid, and I, I've, I think I've hinted this earlier, by and large, these experiences are just incredible i mean the best experience I, I i have i have laughed like i never thought any human being could laugh it, it's like laughter that you think that kind of laughter should be illegal it's like you know what you can't laugh like that and even then uh, beyond that I, i've had laughter sort of squeezed out of me and the kind of ecstasy that shames mdma and for sure i have had very profound feelings of of love empathy and compassion for those entities that can move me to these states i mean you quickly realize you're dealing with matters of the heart i mean for sure you know um i mean as a grown man like crying with love for something that's giving you ex an experience that is it's just it's beyond words it, it it's you know you're never going to get that from a pint of beer. You're never going to get that from a packet of 20 cigarettes. These are really beautiful and profound states. And, and with ayahuasca especially, you know, it's um, there's more chance to navigate. It's maybe not as intense as the free base, but yeah, really beautiful, life-changing experiences and uh, positive. You will learn about yourself and you'll learn something about hidden nature, I'm sure. It, it kind of begs the question as well is what is love like it, it comes to redefine what you thought was love before a romantic attachment or um some something like that uh it comes 
for me personally, it's come to be defined as actually emerging with all that is, emerging with the universe. Like that is that's that's a oneness, like the universe separated off into the multiplicity that is it is me yeah. and you because it was lonely in its oneness. Yeah. And, um, and, and and that's a very lonely place to be. If the universe is one, it's a very lonely one. Uh, <laughs> so it splits itself off into the many in order so it can experience itself through through yeah, words. You know? This is becoming in mainstream uh, thinking yeah. now. And, and and that love is is the remerging with the oneness uh, of all. And so my definition has changed so much from what I thought love was. Yeah. Now it's uh, that lock and key mechanism between this this chemical in your body is yeah. merging you with the, the the divine, and that is love. And when you talked about smoking and drinking, I was an alcoholic for many years, a musician, and I was trying to find that in the the, the alcohol or the cigarette. And I think we all do as human beings. We try and find it in the food. I need the ice cream. Yeah. I need the, I need something to just merge somehow. But all the tools are so inefficient in comparison to something like DMT. DMT will, or LSD or these psychedelics will take you take you there. Yeah, and and you know the the love conquers all. You know a, a, a potent universal agent. You know, like when you're a child and you get those moments where you just feel maybe not so much in your head but in your heart you just feel this sort of swollen deep wonder at how this came to be mm -hmm. i mean that real the ultimate question and you know as a sort of dmt enthusiast when you get those moments you know i'm not talking in an experience but just walking home from work or driving to work or just those moments you get that profound feeling of wonder you know the fact that dmt's amplified sort of positive aspects of my character it's really powerfully amplified those feelings of wonder and when they come they're like blow you away you know it's just there's no answer to it but you just feel that sort of depth of mystery that that moves you at a very deep level and uh, yeah you do feel love and wonder at the the beauty and complexity and mystery of it all Mm. And, and another interesting question that I often ask people is, so do you feel you've made any progress? <laughs> in terms of my research? In terms of, uh, you know, the spiritual path, when one starts off, you could think that there's some form of, uh, of end to it, or one can feel like they're making progress. Like we were talking about before with the ego, like Ram Dass used to say that he'd not cured one neurosis or in, in his whole time of, of doing LSD and, and traveling to India and whatnot. It's on your path and what you're up to now. Do you feel you're making progress to understanding what is, is going on in the world? What, what, what is the meaning of it all? Yeah, to, to my own satisfaction, yeah. I mean, in terms of my research, I think I've made some genuinely original sort of arguments. And I'm not putting them there as fact or truth. I'm just saying that for consideration. In terms of myself, yeah, we've already said my emotional intelligence just developed very quickly through my experience with the DMT. But... I think you know with 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 evolution on 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 different levels physical spiritual mental intellectual you're never there you're always developing i think if you think you've arrived and you've uh you know you've sort of got to a platform and beyond that you're not going to progress because you've got to, then you're a fool and you've you've probably not learned the lessons you should have learned so i mean look i i my last ayahuasca journey last year it, you know, we'd had three teas over three nights, and the last one, it was intense. I mean, I just had no idea ayahuasca could put it on me so powerfully. And I was very subtly, I, I mean, these entities are powerful. They know what they're doing, but it seemed I was subtly 
coaxed into or invited into facing my own soul and they did it in such a clever and humorous way and you know when I acquiesced I kind of sensed where we were going and I took fright so it took me back to the lovely playful sort of arena you know and it was like again he did it in such a humorous way it's like you know do you want to come and have a look at your own soul you know like, like this is nice but it was like ultimate there's this entity there like going ultimately it's like oh this is, this is fun isn't it oh and i'm like come on let's go and yeah <laughs> I, uh, I face my own soul i i'm far from perfect dmt will not remove your darker quarters but it will enable you to face up to it and maybe hold hands with it to some extent and recognize it is part of you and it ain't ever going to go away and i face my own soul and yeah I, i've still got things in my life that uh habits that uh or pursuances that even though I'm enjoying them at the time, I think, you know, ultimately this is probably not to my long-term evolutionary benefit at a soul level, not so much my physical level, but a soul level. And I, I cried my eyes out, you know, I'm in a tent with about 50 people and, you know, I was one of a few that were crying. I bawled and bawled and bawled. But I tell you what, it was beneficial. There's no shame in crying at yourself. Oh, if anything, yeah. it's, it's medicinal, it's therapeutic. You know, I'd rather be crying at the tail end of an ayahuasca experience than crying because I've, you know, got drunk in a town centre and in, imposed life-threatening or life-changing injuries on somebody through drink. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a no-brainer. So, and you hinted at this, then, like, is it, again, in your experience, certainly as in mine, that the medicine calls upon us to not only have these experiences, but integrate them and to try as best we can to be better human beings in the process. And it seems to, if you're not doing that, it seems to not be very happy with you. I've read experiences from some people um, where I want to say to them, at my degrees in psychology, I want to say maybe it's something you're doing in, in the life, your, your lived life that's wrong, but it seems quite offensive to suggest that, you know, you're pointing out a, a flaw. Of course, we are imperfect beings. And, we yeah. are. and has that been in your experience of it too, that this call to develop, to grow, to evolve, to be better human beings? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, it's unusual. What, what I can say, and on heart, is it's, it's maybe not so much the experiences themselves, but a lot of things that I'd read before trying DMT, before knowing what DMT was. I mean, talking about um, esoteric books, books on NDA, near-death experiences and paranormal. And there were things that sort of stuck in my mind from reading that. And, and then when I've journeyed with DMT, I've kind of like think, found that those things that have stuck in my mind, they've risen to the top. And as a consequence, it's made me um, far more um positive in my relationship with those that i know and love and those that even strangers and aware of the influences on my sake so for example sometimes i have to work um shifts and if it's a night shift i used to get really ratty you know when i'm getting ready for work this is before i tried dmt really ratty like you know you know with my children and my wife and then when I tried DMT and these things that I'd read previously had risen, you know, I was like, why, why am I beating up on them? It's not, it's not their fault I'm meant to go. And and now there's not once I've left for work on a night without being just pristine positive because 
What's the point in being up? So being aware of the importance of the relationships with those I know and love and even strangers. Yeah, that's that's really again. And that, I link that to the emotional intelligence, which was once perhaps lacking, but now matured very quickly in a short space of time. And, and then also just on the opposite side to that, any negative consequences, like any warnings? I mean, I, I think that these tools are so powerful. They, they, they're the keys to portals of the, of the divine. And, and, and I think that there's a big difference between somebody like you, Dick, and, and, and some of us in the community, and somebody that's just eating a load of acid or, or, or getting, getting wasted, you know, using, using it in, in, in the wrong way. It, it, I've seen it, friends even scramble the minds, like, and there seems, yeah. there seems to be real dangers there. And I was wondering if you could talk about that just a, a little yeah, bit. Sure. So, I mean, look, uh, let, let's go back to brass tacks because with these experiences, you, you really do need to be, I think you need to have your wits about you, which Terence McKenna rightly said, you know, you need to have your wits about you because you are, you are literally opening your mind to hidden realities where there are all kinds of things. Now, I would argue because of how DMT operates in the mind, you're mainly open to um, higher beings, higher entities, higher energies. Uh, a lot of it might be to do with, with your mindset, hence the importance of set and setting. But there has been times when I've smoked DMT and, you know, it's been a breakthrough experience or it's not been a breakthrough experience. It's just amplified my mind stuff. And, and then all of a sudden I felt so vulnerable. It's like, what the hell am I doing? And I can see all my mind stuff filling the local sky. And you feel like you feel this motherly concern for you, like your own mind stuff that's out there. You're seeing, I mean, it's unbelievable. And you're like, gee, you kind of like feel small and vulnerable because there's no union in this. There's no health and safety officer that you can go to and say, oh, I've got a complaint about, you know, what happened and, you know. <laughs> your mind against um, hidden nature and again I'm not wanting to scare anybody but you know the question you asked so um, what was the experience there was uh, it slipped my mind I'm afraid Ryan but I had one experience in there and it's just slipped my mind I'm afraid yeah well, you I, need to have I, I just about you yeah, I mean, I, it just it seems that if we to take them too frequently, if it's too frequently and there's no integration, no grounding, it seems it can do serious short term. It doesn't seem to be long term. I mean, people do heal from these these things, but it can scramble your lived reality. I think Joe Rogan's mentioned it a few times that sometimes DMT has spun him out for weeks where he's not been able to recenter and, and, and remember who he was and what he was doing and. Have you ever had any times where you've thought, right, I got to lay off because I okay, yeah, yeah, thank you. So that's a really helpful prompt. So, yeah, there was, um, again, your ego is always shouting at you not to smoke DMT. So um, there was this day, nobody's at home. I think it was only 20 milligrams in the pipe. You know, I mean, it might not be a lot to some people, but I always use fresh crystals unless it states otherwise in the book and the report. But the, the the weather was like, it was still, there was no air movement. And I, my ego was shouting at me far more than usual. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I was like, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. And uh, I smoked this um, dose, um, three 
pulls laid back and i don't know whether an entity was present or not but within seconds of being under the influence of dnt for whatever reason my mind took a really negative and even bail baleful direction and seemed to focus uh, how much can i say without scaring people with baleful intent towards my wife anybody doesn't know what baleful means look it up and you'll see what i'm saying with baleful intent towards my wife and it was like oh my god and i was trying to shake it from my head and went outside because i felt like the expanse of open space would help me i was like god i couldn't shake this like train of thought from my mind it's like what can i do to like occupy my mind it's like i know i'll i'll chop some wood with an axe no, no, I'm not going to spend your wood with an axe. That's the worst thing you can do, you know, sort of shades of, you know, here's Johnny in The Shining. And um, I mean, we're laughing, but uh, that that really became a very dark few couple of weeks for me. So I'd be at work and these baleful thoughts would spring up in my mind. And I've never had that where things pop up in my mind that I felt like were... A little bit out of my control or making their presence known without me really authorizing it and somewhat selfishly i was thinking damn I, I hope this means it's not the end of my dmt research anyway i tried dmt two or three times before i'd have an experience but ultimately on the sort of not the come down but where i'm reflecting and integrating this baleful dark train of thought would reimpose itself and i'd be like no 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 anyway long story short i ultimately had to speak to my wife and it was a really difficult conversation i mean because i had to be i had to be open and honest and explicit without frightening the bloody life out of her and she listened and god bless her you know she gave some good advice and i went to work and came back and i was in the bath and she came to talk to me and she was rightly not terrified but genuinely scared for her for our family and uh yeah you know i i, I left it alone for a while but you know what the, the best thing i did was speaking to my wife about it if i'd not done that i i dread to think what may have happened it's true if you have got something going on in your mind don't bottle it up speak about it find somebody you can trust find somebody who you love or, or, or deals with these things and speak to them about it because bringing it out and shedding light on it is going to help you deal with it so the conclusion of that was you know that's still a factor in my life far less now but it's still there and it's like yeah i have to admit i I scarred my mental health. I'm not saying I damaged it. I'm not saying I broke it irre irreparably, but I scarred it. But like a sportsman, let's say a football player or a rugby player, you play the game, you've got to get some knocks. You might get some scars or God forbid injuries, but you know, they will heal. It's just giving, giving it the right opportunity and time to heal. And you know what? Even though that might sound dark, I think it's those kind of challenging experiences unforeseen experiences that really help you learn uh, about your mind and the quality and qualities of your mind and how, how powerful and yet fragile it can be and really really beneficial so yeah scared my mental health but i think it's maybe ultimately a, a better individual even a better husband and father beautiful yeah beautiful now, as we wrap up and we, we bring the conversation to a close, I just wanted to ask about 
what you on with now? What's going down? I heard something about another book or? Well, I mean, the intention is to always have a DMT and my occult mind three, which I want to, again, include trip reports, but reports and analyses, but more so have a really sort of good philosophical stab uh, uh, trying to document or propose uh, or give arguments for consideration as to what these entities might be, because esoteric and occult literature is is chock full of, you know, um, occult hierarchies, spiritual hierarchies. So I want to try and tease some really worthwhile excerpts from that kind of uh, literature through my research and introduce those. And uh, yeah, I'd love there to be a third book, but I'm not going to lie it's it's not dmt is not easy to commit to if it was we'd have been on a third or fourth book by now but it's not so yeah i want to pursue i want to include my ayahuasca experiences i want to try five meo dmt i've i have access to that but i've not yet experienced it uh four aco dmt which is synthetic psilocybin but again saying these words to you now ryan they just flow so free i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do that but Ultimately, I've got to sit down with that pipe, knowing what I've seen and experienced and find the wherewithal to say, let's go. And uh, yeah, and if, if there is a third book, then I've been the hero of my own life. If there isn't, then I gave it my best, but I'm determined to get a third book. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be, right? Perfect. Yeah, it's the divine unfolding path. Perfect. So, I mean, it, fantastic conversation and i'm really glad we covered all the points i wanted to cover you know went through the entities and whatnot and it's it's just great following your journey and um i'm looking forward to that book if it does come out thank you so yeah thanks so much for this conversation yeah and uh, if you ever want to come to bali you and your lovely wife i'll um take my invite as soon as lockdown's over we're coming (laughs) (laughs) thank you i appreciate that all right dick thank you right thanks a lot all the best cheers all right